The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. I'm here to taco to you about something this morning. For real, for real, I'm not being cheesy, okay? Okay, in case so, you're wondering why I am uh, dressed like this, I'll spill the beans, okay? I'm going to spill the beans. It's because Trunk or Treat is coming up. Anyone excited about Trunk or Treat? Uh, It's on October 31st, and this is a giant event for us. Uh, I I think it's going to be the taco of the town. I mean, I really do. And uh, I just encourage you, um, let us pray that this event is a bright light in our community. All right, let us pray. Do you know how much I love Trunk or Treat? From my head, tomatoes. I know, that was corny. All right, I'm done. I'm done. Jace, will you help me get out of this taco costume? (laughs) Boom! There we go. All right, so if you don't know, a chunk or treat's kind of a big deal for us, and uh, I made a rule that during the month of October, whoever is doing announcements has to do it in costume. And then today, I got stuck with announcements, and the staff reminded me, Pastor, you have to wear a costume, and... uh, I, so I went with it. I went with it. So hey, Trunk or Treat is a giant outreach for us, and uh, you can sign up to serve already. It's on our on our way our, our face our Facebook on our website and our church center app. There's so many ways to serve. Uh, the number one way is to serve to, sh- to show up to uh, set up a trunk and give out candy. We provide the candy. You just provide the manpower. You dress up. You decorate your car. And uh, last year we had over a thousand people come through. It's a just a really amazing way for us to be a light in our community. Um, it's quite often that I'll be out about in our community. Someone will find out that I'm the pastor at Harvest, and they'll know us for things like Trunk or Treat. They're like, you guys throw that big party on Halloween night. I'm like, yes, that is us. And so I'm proud to be that kind of a church, but we can't do that without you. And so I would love for you to join me uh, on the 31st. Help, me, help us out. Let's serve our community. And uh, it is really a ton of fun. Let me tell you about another way that you have to serve our community coming up, and this is brand new. We've never done this uh, before, but we are providing uh, a day camp, a one-day camp for the elementary students at Marie Hughes Elementary, which is a school right around the corner. That's our school. We've adopted them, and uh, we're just uh, trying to always find ways to serve them. And so on November the 6th, this is a Monday, November the 6th, uh, they have a staff development day, and uh, all their teachers have to be there, but the students can't be there. And so what happened is the parents were calling the school saying, what do we do with our kids? We don't know. We have jobs. We don't know what to do with our kids. And they shared this need with us. And we said, well, what if we just did a one day camp? So I don't know how many of you, maybe growing up, you went to like a, a summer VBS, right? This is like a one day VBS. All right. And so the, they're actually going to bring their students to us. Uh, we're going to take care of them all day long. It's 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. We're going to serve them lunch. We're going to give them snacks. We're going to teach them uh, about the Bible. We're going to, we're going to invest into their lives. We're going to love on them, but we need a lot of help to pull this off. So here's what we've done is if you want to sign up to help us with our day camp, you can do that.
that on the website through, or through the Church Center app. And uh, if you just will let us know your availability. Some of you can't be here the whole time. Maybe you want to come in, pop in for lunch, help serve lunch, or help serve snacks. Uh, whatever availability you have that day, let us know. And Pastor Madison is going to uh, work out all the schedule and the assignments, and she'll get back to you and let you know kind of where you're needed. And we're just going to spend an entire day with students from right here in our community, just loving on them and serving them. I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, for this new venture. Many of you already get involved in the school through like pickles and popcorn. Many of you served through uh, our, we, we served their open house. Like we've, you, you've been there a lot. This is new. And one of the things that's new about it is they're actually bringing their kids to us. And so I'm pretty excited uh, about that. And then one more announcement for our young adults and for our high schoolers as well. Um, we're having a worship night this Wednesday uh, right here at the church at 6 p.m. And uh, I'm excited about what God's doing in our young adults. They started as a small group about a year and a half ago with like five student or five young adults and they're averaging 25 now. And so we're starting to, to think about some, some events t- like this worship night and some other things to do. And uh, for this, they want to invite the high schoolers as well. And we're just going to have a great worship night and there's going to be dinner following it. We've learned that's the key to getting young adults is to always feed them. And so uh, Pastor Derek and I are actually smoking a whole bunch of meat for that. And uh, it's going to be an incredible night. Uh, So I don't care if you come for your friends or for the worship or for the barbecue. Any of those will work for me. Just get here. If you know a young adult or a high schooler, encourage them uh, to get here as well. There's a lot of great things happening in Harvest. Do you love being part of this church? So, so much fun. Uh, We talk a lot about uh, generosity, and the way we talk about generosity is through this phrase. We say, we live with open hands. How many of you have heard heard us say that? We live with open hands. And uh, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, we we were talking in this series, Out of the Cave. We were talking about how when you're anxious and you're worried, how you tend to think like you're always looking over your shoulder and thinking there's bad stuff following you, and what's the next thing that's gonna happen? And I encouraged you through the psalm where it says, Surely the goodness and favor and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I said, hey, just look behind you and just go, oh, there it is. There's the goodness of the Lord. It's following me. And I think this is one of the keys to living with open hands. It's hard to live with open hands when you're always worried about where the next thing is going to come from, when you're always trying to wrap your hands around it. But when you just know that the goodness of the Lord is following you, you can just walk around with open hands. And yesterday we experienced this. Uh, uh, we went to the Bloom Fiesta yesterday. Anyone else get a Bloom Fiesta yesterday. All right. By the way, it's illegal to go on a Sunday, just so you know. But um, uh, we went yesterday, and we were fighting that crazy traffic, and and then all of a sudden, it was like it was like a parting of the Red Sea, and we were being waved in, and we got I mean like front row. I mean seriously, front row parking, and they didn't even charge us. And I, it wasn't because I was like they they did not charge us. And then we got out, and like there was this giant line over here, but the gate we were at, there was nobody, and we just walked right through. And then my favorite part, okay, we walked up to Tom Thumb Donuts because you got to get Tom Thumb Donuts when you're there. Walked up. There was a giant line. But when I got in line, I noticed that Pastor Andrew and Madison were at the front of the line. And so I just walked around there. And I said, hey, can you buy me some Tom Thumb Donuts? I gave them a little bit of money. And then the girls, the girls were actually, Ava uh, came to me and she said, dad, look behind you. And I looked and I was like, what? What is it? She goes, it's the goodness. (laughs) It's the goodness, the goodness of the Lord. And it was just following us to 
the balloon fiesta. And listen, that is the life that I want you to live. And, it, and it's, it's not just that the goodness is following. It's that we choose to live with open hands. And so today, as we think about that, every week there's a chance for you uh, to participate in generosity through giving. There's a bunch of ways to give. A lot of you give online. There's, there's boxes out there you can give on your way out. But I'm just telling you, okay, I'm not, I'm not teaching you this because I want your money. I'm teaching you this because I think it's the best way to live because I want you to walk around looking over your shoulder saying the goodness of the Lord is following me. Does anyone want that in your life? Can I pray over you this morning? So Father, I just pray over every friend, every, every person here today that's trusting you with their finances, with their resources, with their time, with their talents, and they're choosing to live with open hands. And I'm just believing, Lord, that the blessing would be on every single family today, every person that's choosing to live this way. And Lord, we're just going to be uh, conscious of the goodness that's following us. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I am so excited today to introduce you to one of Lisa and I's uh, very favorite people in the world. Uh, when we went to college, when I got to college, Lisa had been there a year ahead of me, and uh, and I noticed Lisa pretty quickly as I walked onto that campus as a freshman, and so I wanted to know where Lisa went to church, because I wanted to go to whatever church she went to, and uh, she was going to a church called Trinity Church, and so so I started going to Trinity Church. I didn't care about Trinity Church. I cared about Lisa. But quickly, I fell in love with this amazing church as well. And uh, one of the pastors there, Tim and Michelle Ferguson, they were actually the youth pastors there uh, at that time. And Lisa was serving uh, in youth ministry. And so I started serving in youth ministry. I didn't care about youth. I cared about Lisa. And uh, and, and, and then one day, I finally convinced Lisa to, to go out with me, and one day I convinced her to marry me, and, and so we needed someone to help us to give us some pre-marriage counseling, and, uh, and so we thought of none other than Tim and Michelle, and so we went to Tim and Michelle, and we asked if they would do our counseling, and Tim said, Jason, I won't do it for you, but I will do it for Lisa. <laughs> she, he has always liked her more than me, and that's quite all right. And, uh, and so Tim and Michelle have invested in our lives from that day all the way to this day. They're now the executive pastors uh, at what Lisa and I consider our home church there in Texas, Trinity Church. Many of you know Pastor Hennessy. He's been here several times. And uh, we finally were able to get Tim and Michelle to come out. We, we said, hey, come during Balloon Fiesta, hang out with us, spend a weekend at Trinity. And I just know that you are going to enjoy Tim's ministry today. So will you help me welcome my friend Tim as he comes to share the word this morning. Thanks, Jason. Wow. You know, usually you exaggerate a lot, but all the things you said this morning were right. <laughs> like we did have favor at the, at the balloon fest, fiesta yesterday. I mean, to park right where we parked, to walk right in and no, no line, it was amazing. And then you know, I, I'm okay with Jason, but when he calls, I may or may not answer. But if Lisa, if she calls um, or texts me, then I'm going to respond in a second. And we love the girls, Mercy and Ava and Eden. We've known them since they were, you know, infants. And my parents used to like work in Albuquerque. My dad managed the Kodak lab here in the, in the 90s. And 
and they would always invite me to the balloon fiesta because my dad loved it. They had a big booth there, um, and and I just never came. And yesterday was my first time to be at the balloon fiesta. Uh, it was an amazing day, and I wish I had some of those Tom Thumb donuts right now. But it's an honor to be here today. I love your pastors, and already I've fallen in love with your church. Um, but the text this morning is from Genesis chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 6. I was thinking of Jason, you know, what, what am I, in the last couple of weeks, you know, what am I going to share, what am I going to speak? And you know, I had a number of options I was heading, and I, I fell on this passage and this sermon and this message, and then I listened to, to your message last week online this week and on Out of the Cave, and even though this is not an Out of the Cave message technically, I do believe that it is really in the, in the theme and in the, the spirit of what you have been talking about over the last few weeks about coming out of the darkness, coming out of depression, come, because I don't think there's a better story than what we're going to share this morning about that. So here we go, Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, this is before they changed their names, Abram's wife had borne him no children, as Jace referred to this morning in the wait on the, wait on the Lord moment in the transition. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. You notice how sometimes we assign blame to the Lord on our situation, and, and Sarah does that. And she goes, go sleep, uh, code language for go have sex, with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Imagine that. Sarai took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived and was with child. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, in your bed, and now, she knows, now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. I need, you, I need the Lord, Abram, to judge between you and me. They're having a marital spat here, and it's a, it's a really serious one. And then Abram says this, your servant is in your hands, he said. Do whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar and so she, and then Hagar fled from her mistress. She, she ran away. And, and this is the word of the Lord this morning. And I, I want to share with you a moment here about a message here where God will notice you wherever you are. No matter what you're doing or what you've been through, he's going to notice you. And I, I had a, a teenager who came to my youth group when she was 15 years old. She was in the South Dallas area. She was a cheerleader at one of our local high schools. And, you know, she struggled from a broken home. Her parents were both in our church, but in our church they divorced during her season as a junior high student. And then they remarried. And then both of her church, both of her parents still went to our church. It was a pretty large church. One set of the couple sat on the other side, one set on the other side of the church. And so she dealt with that, those issues there of what she was going through. And, and she really struggled. And so she would disappear for weeks and months at a time when I was youth pastoring her because she was with a new boyfriend or different things of that nature at the school. And then she would come back. And, and then before her senior year at youth camp, though, which is why you should always send your kids to youth camp or kids camp, she, she had an encounter with God, and it transformed her life. 
In her senior year, she became a leader of the Bible club at that large high school there in South Dallas. She began to invite her friends, and literally every weekend on Wednesday night, she would bring 10 to 15 new students from that high school. I mean, and literally, it was amazing how many kids came. God began to touch her. She, became, she entered our young adult ministry training for three years. She joined our staff at 22 years old as our creative pastor and our fine arts director. She married a godly man, a pastor. And after four months of marriage, she conceived. And they had a son. They named him Nathaniel. But at that point in her life, she's, you know, when they married, she's in her late 20s. Her womb closed. And even though they tried for several years, her husband and they were no longer able to have children. For four years, they tried everything. Every kind of medication, every kind of thing that the doctors can do and those kind of issues. And she finally had a doctor look at her and tell her, he says, look, your, your womb is the womb of a 60-year-old woman. It's like you've already went through menopause. There is no medical way that you're going to have children. It's medically impossible. And it was hard for her because she had received prophetic words from the church and in the altars at different times. You're going to have a child. You're going to have another child. God's going to open up your womb. And on that day, after she talked to the doctor, she walked into my office and she sat there and she's weeping and she's crying. And she says, she says, Tim, I've given up. I, I can't do this any longer. I feel like God doesn't see me. To be seen to be known. If I was with my boss, Pastor Hennessy, today, he would say that's the greatest desire of the human race, to be fully seen and to, and to fully known and fully loved. And if you think about that, that's really true because we obsess in this culture over how many followers we have on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or if you're into video games, Twitch, any form of social media, how many followers, how many likes, you know, of those natures. And I, and I was looking at this when I was, when I was met working on this message, and I thought, who's the most popular TikTok follower? And there's several in the competition, but the one I fell on was a 20-year-old girl named Charlie D'Amelio. She has 148 million followers. Every time she does a sponsored post, it's a, she gets $100,000 income into her bank account. And then my, ki- my two young adult sons, they, they're into video games. And, they're in, and so one of the YouTube guys I've watched him over the last couple of years is a guy named Ninja. And what this Ninja does, he plays video games. And Ninja has 18.5 million followers that every time he logs on to play the video game, they watch him. I was telling my oldest son about this. And he goes, Dad, he goes, you're just so out of it. Ninja was so last year. <laughs> he goes, the real guy right now is some guy named I Show Speed. There you go. <laughs> and so I looked up I Show Speed on, on Twitch, and I began to look. And, and I Show Speed, he's, he's 19 years old. He generally does this with no shirt. I mean, he, he, the language that he's putting out is really crazy. I mean, it's, it's offensive. And, and, I, and I'm going, this guy is a multimillionaire. It's really depressing. I looked at my last sermon last month, you know, Trinity. We got a big church. I mean, you know, a couple thousand people. You know, you, I, uh, I have 380 views. (laughs) 
I mean, you can go online right now while you're bored with the message on YouTube. Look up, you know, you've been blocked message from last month and just watch it for 30 seconds. I can add, maybe I can get to four, maybe I can break 400. I, I have a guy that I, that was in my youth group back in the 90s and he, I, he went and did fine arts. I wrote his first sermon for him. I looked at his sermon last week that he preached at his church in Dallas. 85,000 views. I mean, I, I want to be seen. I mean, I, does anybody out there see me? Do they know me? Do they care about me? Where are my thousands? I mean, I don't, God, not even a million. Can you just give me a thousand followers? Where are my likes? And, and that's, that's where our text is this morning. In Genesis chapter 16. Because this is the story of those involved here that God had spoken a word to. God had promised something to them. Genesis, Abram and Sarah had a, had a promise from the Lord in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. It says, I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your nation great, your name great, and you are going to be a blessing. And then a few chapters later in Genesis 15, he speaks to Abram again and he says, you're going to have a son. It's going to come from your own body and, and you're going to have an heir. But a decade later, again, as Jace referred to this morning, they, they've heard nothing and they still don't have a son. And Abram's 90, Sarah's 80, and so they get tired of waiting. So they take matters into their own hands. She approaches her husband with the plan. Take my maidservant. Let her be your wife. Let her be your wife. I can have a family through her. And again, Abraham readily agrees. Men are all the same. They haven't changed in thousands of years. I mean, a few generations, two generations later with his grandson, Jacob. Jacob's going to deal with the same thing. When his wife, Rachel, brings here, have my maidservant. It, it, it works. And Hagar gets pregnant. But as soon as she gets pregnant, and can imagine that if you have two wives in the same household and one can have something of favor and one has something where God has seems like left out, they become rivals. And Sarah begins, even though it was Sarah's idea, she begins to blame her husband. She says, God judge between you and me for what you did to me. You should have said no when I told you what to do. <laughs> and then Abram gives her permission to treat Hagar any way she sees fit. In Genesis 16, 6, Sarah mistreated Hagar. And, the, and if you go all the way back, it's the same root word from, in the Hebrew from how the Egyptians treated the slaves under Moses. It was verbal and physical abuse that she was doing. And so what does Hagar do when she begins to get verbally and physically abused and she's pregnant? She runs away. And when she runs away, the angel of the Lord meets her in the desert. And can I give you some Tim Ferguson commentary this morning? That every time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, I truly believe you're seeing a pre-incarnate, pre-New Testament Jesus having an encounter with an individual in the Old Testament. And so Jesus shows up to Hagar in the desert, and he says, verse 8, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where, are you, where have you come from and where are you going? And Jesus sends her back to Abram and Sarah. Theologically, I struggle with this because she's a slave and she's escaped. 
And yet Jesus is showing up and says, hey, I want you to go back into your slavery. I want you to go back into your mistreatment. I want you to, I don't even know how that happens. It's almost like if you're looking in the 18, you know, 1850s, 1850s before the Civil War, that, that Jesus is showing up and telling Harry Tubman, I need you to go back to your master. But it doesn't make sense. But that's what he does to Hagar. Go back. And he says in verse 10, I'm going to increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And then Hagar, she gives Jesus a name. And in, in the Hebrew, it's El-Roi. And the name she gives him is, you are the God who sees. See, this message today is for all those like my friend Christy, who all those years ago walked into my office and said, God doesn't see me. This message is for those who fell in love with someone and then you had your heart broken. Or you wrote a book and no one read it. Or you produced a podcast and no one listened to it. Or you filmed a social media video and no one watched it. Or you preached a sermon and no one came to listen to it. Or you started a business and no one wanted your product. So those who want to be fully known and fully loved. And this morning, in the next 15, 20 minutes that we having this message. What do we need to know about the God who sees? And that's the title of the message, the God who sees. The first thing is this. God sees you. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai. See, in the previous six verses, every time that Abram and Sarai refer to this woman, they call her a maidservant. They call her their slave. They, they refer to her occupation and her position in life. To them, she is just someone who they own and is in their house. She doesn't even have a name for Hagar, for Hagar for, to Abram and Sarah. But when Jesus shows up, he calls her by name, and he doesn't just call her by name. He know, he describes her situation. He says, Hagar, you're a slave of Sarah. I know you're name and I know what you're going through see here's a note for you here's something to put you know pin it you know on whatever you want to pin it to God God views God's watching of your life are more valuable than all of those people who follow you on social media see one view by God is way more than a million by anybody in this culture at 5 30 a.m on Saturday morning April the 22nd of this year, my phone went off. A few minutes later, it went off again. For the rest of the day, over and over and over again, messages, text messages, text messages. I mean, I generally am not a huge fan of being on the phone or text messages, so this is extremely annoying to me. So why, why are all these people sending me text messages? And I counted it up at the end of the day. I had 113 text messages. And this is not even just the people that went onto social media and also sent me messages through Instagram and Twitter and through Facebook and over and over and over again. I, I, this, is, this is a day I don't want to be bothered. Can you leave me alone? Do not text me. What day was this? It was my birthday. Who are these? Many of them, I don't even know who this person is. Why are you, why are you sending me happy birthday messages? I mean, I, there's probably 
25 people in the universe that actually know my physical birthday, you know, without needing an, a, a prodding from a social media site. Because once upon a time, I put my, my birthday on my, when I signed up for Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And so now it pops up. Oh, it's Tim's birthday, Pastor Tim's birthday. Let's send him a message. Look, don't send me a message. Send me cash. Jesus doesn't need, God doesn't need the social media sites to remind you of your birthday. He doesn't need that to remind you of your name. He, he sees you when no one else sees you. He knows you when no one else knows you. And he, and he understands the situations. I, I preached a message back at the beginning of the year. I was between services. I walked down off to my left in the, in the sanctuary. I was getting ready for the start of the second service. And this guy comes down from the balcony, and he walks down, and he just comes up to me, and he just stands there, and his name was Travis, and he goes, hey, Pastor Tim. He goes, I've been coming here for a long time, and I want, I got a word from you. You know, generally, when someone wants to bring you a word, I want to run. I mean, like, one word will say this, one word will say this, and which word is true? But when you're a pastor, people always want to give you words. He said, I got a word from you. And he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, God wants you to start a podcast. I said, I'm not starting a podcast. I go, there's a billion podcasts in the universe. I, I mean, I wrote a book a few years ago, and it sold five copies, and all of those were bought by my mom. <laughs> why, why, would I, why would I start a podcast? And I, I just, I, he goes, the Lord told me that you need to do this, and, and I just dismissed him. And I thought, this is... Uh, the next morning, I, I get a call from one of my close friends, and he goes, I've been in prayer. And I, I know this close friend. He doesn't pray a lot. <laughs> and he said, God just spoke to me this morning. You need to start a podcast. And I just I argued with him. I said, I'm not doing this. And he goes, I will buy all of your equipment. I'll pay for everything. Just do it. And I, I still wouldn't do it. And, I, and, and it and for the next two days, I mean, I, I get three different people out of the blue. And, and at one point, the Lord just said, he, I heard him call me by name. He, he said, Tim, this is not from those people. This is from me. And he goes, it doesn't matter how many people watch it or who looks at it. He goes, I'm telling you what to do. It's important to understand that God will do that. And he, look at the people in the Bible that God called by name. Samuel is born to Hannah who could not have a child and then she has a child. But because she made a promise to God, she has to bring him to the temple and give him to a blind prophet who has sons who are filled with demonic power and oppression. And then she drops her two-year-old who's just been weaned off. I'm thinking... What kind of mom or dad would do that? God, you really didn't mean that. when you. But no, no, no. He does it and he lives with Eli. And as a young boy, God calls Samuel by name in night, at the night. Daniel is 80 plus years old. He served the Babylon Empire his entire life. But now he is pushed out of office after serving six kings for over 65 years. And he doesn't have anything to do. And so what does he do? He goes off in Daniel 10 and he has a fast. No choice meat, no wine, no food or lotion, you know, he doesn't use on his body for 21 days. Don't get me started on the Daniel fast. If you're really doing the Daniel fast, you won't use shampoo or toothpaste or deodorant. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the Lord knocks him out in a vision, wakes him up and says, Daniel. Highly esteemed. He was retired, no longer of use in the in the world he had grown up in, but yet God still called him by name. 
And a Christian terrorist is traveling around persecuting and killing Christians and throwing them in jail. And yet God strikes him down on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, God knows your name. He calls you my name. He sees you. But not only does he see you, he sees your mistakes, your, your sins, if we want to get more churchy on a Sunday morning. He sees your failures. One of the things I like to do is, you know, as I go quietly into the old age, I actually, this is really, I don't know if this is really exciting or depressing. Like last, when I turned 62, you know what you can do at 62? You can get a lifetime pass for all the national parks for $80. (laughs) So I can go to a park and then anyone's around the world. But it's really kind of depressing because how long do you have to get to all the parks now that you're this age? So last year, my son-in-law plays in the Padres minor league system. So last year, he was, state, he was, he was in um, Lake Elsinore. And so we went to watch him and play Visalia in, in California. And it's near Sohoi National Park. And so we were, we were, I, wanted, I wanted to go to the National Park. And I, we stayed there a night uh, on his day off. And I wanted a hike that tested me. I wanted to walk right on the edge of killing myself, you know, and to let myself know that I'm st- I still can do something athletic like I do when I was younger. And so I looked up a hike like I usually do on vacation. It was Morrow, you know, trail there in that, in that park, it's Sequoia National Park. And, and I, I got up before sunrise. I try to do this before Michelle gets out of bed so she doesn't know I'm about to go kill myself. It's a mile straight up, uh, you know, or so about a half a mile straight up, and then, a, then half a mile back down, and it winds up. And because it's so dangerous over the years, they built stairs and a rail because people would get struck by lightning and storms and then fall off the side, or they would fall off the side because there was no rail. Now they have it, so it was, it's hard, but it's relatively safe. So I get up, I get there at sunrise, no one's there but me. I, I park in a little area, I start walking up there. I get about maybe 100 yards from the top. I you know what? I'm not old. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm an amazing athlete like I was when I was 20. I can do all this. You know, time can't stop me. And then I get to a point and like there's no, nowhere else to go. I've read the reviews online. I know that you can go to the top. And I look around. I can't see where it, but then there's a ridge right here in front of me. And then I see a little trail up against the side of the wall. Now this is Morrow Rock Trail. Is like when you get up there, it's straight down 5,000 feet. And so I look past the little ridge. Well, at the ridge, there's no rail that keeps going with you like it's been coming through the whole time. And I think, well, I'm not getting this far and not going to the top. And so I step over the ridge. It's about, that's about that high. And I get out, and, the, and then the, 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 the little trail part's about this wide. And I start walking. I, I go about this far, and this is not one of my fears, heights, but fear strikes me at this point. And I'm paralyzed. I'm going to die. Michelle's going to kill me again because I, I will have killed myself. And then I hear my name. Tim. Look to your left. And I look back because I'm standing on the ridge where I just stepped over. I look back to my left and the trail had looped back up. I think like in a little U-turn and you couldn't see it from where you stopped on the little ridge that I stepped over. I only could see it once I got out there. You had to know it was there. And I felt the fear leave me. I stepped three or four feet back, 
stepped over the ridge and went up to the top, did my thing. I got to the bottom, and the Lord called my name again. He said, Tim. He said, that was really stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was. But he sees my mistakes. He sees your mistakes. And see, sometimes they're just a lack of common sense or, or things that we don't consider or, you know, or wisdom. You know, sometimes they're, they're willful decisions. And, and one of the things I love about this passage in Genesis 16 about Abraham and Sarah's situation is the grace that God shows them in spite of their treatment of Hagar, in spite of saying, hey, have sex with my maidservant and my slave, in spite of all the things that have resulted as a lack of your faith, we wouldn't be listening to Israeli attacks from Hamas yesterday throughout today if Sarah had not said, here, here's Hagar. Everything we're dealing with in the Middle East right now is a result of this one decision. But yet God saw that. And there's still a grace that comes to their lives. And they, he, he'd give another woman to have sex. They allowed your wife to mistreat her. But God saw it all and he still blessed them. He saw it all. And in Romans 4, he still calls Abraham the father of our faith. He sees our mistakes. He sees our sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Micah 7, 19. He takes our iniquities, our sins. He puts them in the bottom of the ocean. Consider the Marianas Trench, the deepest place in the Pacific Ocean on the earth. And he puts your sins into the bottom of the ocean and remembers them no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, He will take your sins and he'll remove them as far as the east is from the west. Which, if you don't know what that means, if you start going west, I don't know what direction the church is located, but let's just assume this west. If I start going west and I stay west, I never meet east. That's how far God moves your sins. The thing God can do that you can't do, you can forgive yourself, but you can't always forget. God not only can forgive, but he forgets your sins. He forgets your mistakes. And you're filled with guilt and shame. And you go, oh God, I'm so sorry. He says, sorry about what? See, he forgot that Noah got drunk. He forgot that Moses got angry and killed an Egyptian. He forgot that David had an adulterous affair and, and committed murder. He forgot Jacob's family dysfunction, four wives, 12 sons, and one daughter, and rape, and incest, and murder out of that. He forgot all of that and still blessed Jacob anyway. He forgot Peter's denial. He even forgot Mary. Mary is like downloaded with this pregnancy from the Holy Spirit. She's a virgin. Angel Gabriel shows up in her bedroom. But when Jesus starts his ministry, there in his 30 years old, he, he moves from his hometown of Nazareth and goes to Capernaum, which is about 30 miles away. And he starts doing all these things. And the news starts spreading all over the Galilee area. And Mary takes her other sons that are adults now. And they go to Capernaum. And in Mark chapter 3, they say, hey, Jesus, your brothers and your mom are outside. And he says, who are my mothers and my brothers? You know, this is my family right here. And they came, they came because in Mark 3, 21, they came to take charge of Jesus because they thought he had lost his mind. See, Jesus forgot 
He forgave his own mom for her lack of faith and her doubt in those seasons of her life. And then on the cross, he looks at her and he goes, he goes, there, John, there's my mother. Take care of her. God sees our mistakes. He sees that. And he's not turning away from you. He's not running from you. You don't have to hide from him. He sees you. He sees your mistakes. And then thirdly, he sees your sufferings. Now, Genesis 16, 9, Jesus found Hagar near a spring in the desert. You know, this is the first time in the Bible that Jesus shows up in human form. Why? To have an encounter with an Egyptian slave. I mean, we can talk about what's going on in the Middle East, and we can, and I truly believe Israel should go back and do what you got to do to defend yourself. But at the same time, God sees the suffering of all. And he'll show up to people we wouldn't even talk to. When he's in the lower earthly regions, preaching to the captives in the three days of his, after his crucifixion, then it says in Ephesians that he's leading the captives, the Old Testament saints, ascending into the earthly regions on his way up to heaven before he's going to return and talk to his disciples in John chapter 20. He stops and goes, hey, guys, I know, you know, David, you know, Solomon, you know, all you guys. I need to pause here for a second. I got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane again. Or not Garden, but Joseph's Garden. I got to go where Jesus, my, I used to be buried. And he goes there and he goes into the Garden to have an appointment with somebody. And it's not to meet with Pilate. It's not to meet with Herod. It's not to meet with the high priest. It's not to meet with Peter, James, and John. No, no. He goes into the Garden. The first person he talks to after his crucifixion, resurrection, is Mary Magdalene who had been filled with seven devils, who many, many commentators believe she might have been a prostitute. But yet, that's who he talks to, and he calls her by name because he saw her suffering when she was crying because she thought Jesus, her Savior, had been crucified. See, he cared about Hagar. He cared about her unborn child. He cared about her physical abuse. She had run into the wilderness. She was pregnant. She's alone. She's destitute. She has little hope of survival. And Jesus wanted to insert himself into her life of suffering. And he wanted to talk to her. He wanted to know whenever what she was going through in suffering that he saw her. Has anybody had a pity party recently? You've just taken an examination of your life and you said like, gloom, despair, agony on me. Oh, he called things. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Think about out of the cave. He reaches down. I I was having one of those. I was having a... About six months ago, I was having a pity party moment. I mean, I was, I was taking an examination of, of my life, and I was looking back, and I thought, God, I spent my life teaching and coaching at a Christian school. I coached 30 years of varsity boys basketball. I mean, I coached, I mean, and, and gr- few years as girls as well. I taught in the classroom for 13 years. My wife graduated from Trinity Christian School. My daughter and my two sons went from K3 to K12 to Trinity Christian School. And through COVID 2021, we finances, we shut the school down. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on the the, the, the ring of honor in there. My name is a coach. And I, the school doesn't exist anymore. My high school burned down back about 15 years ago and they didn't rebuild it. 
I mean, I helped plant a church in Austin in the 1990s. It doesn't exist anymore. I helped plant a church downtown a couple of years ago as part of our church it, in Dallas. It doesn't exist anymore. I, I did a, a ministry and led and involved with that called Hell House in from 1991 through 2019 for 29 years in which I was somewhat involved at a high level. I spent over a year of my life and days working that ministry. Hundreds of thousands of people came through. It doesn't exist anymore. What's the point? And then I was... In this pity party moment, I was looking on Pinterest because it's really good on Pinterest is when you're traveling on vacation, they'll tell you where the best hikes are. So, I mean, the people that have done those, they'll give you descriptions where to go and how to do it. So I was looking on that because we're going on vacation. What's the best hike for the location? And in the middle of my studying for hikes, there's this Mother Teresa quote that dropped down in front of me. And, it's, and, and I started looking at it. And it said this, people are unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. And this is the one that cut me. What you spent years creating... Others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give your best. It'll never be enough. Give your best anyway. And, and, I, and I, all of a sudden I heard the Lord say, it doesn't really matter what you built. The buildings, the ministries. What matters is the people and the lives that you did it with. And the people that are there that you poured into and God did something in their lives. That's what lasts. That's why you keep doing it anyway. And all of a sudden, even though God saw me in the midst of the suffering, he drew me out of that because I got a different perspective. It's not the person. It's not the building, it's the person. Look, you might be dealing with barrenness, you might be dealing with cancer, you might have financial struggles, you might be depressed, you might be lonely, marital problems, relational problems. God sees your suffering. And he'll show up. He showed up for Hagar. And in verse Genesis 21, 19, a little bit later, when he comes a second time to Hagar, when she has to run away, when she, Isaac has grown. God opened her eyes and she would see a well of water. God's going to take care of Hagar. He's going to take care of you. And then finally, worship team, if you'll come. God sees your future. Look at here in verse 10 to Hagar. I will so increase your descendants, they'll be too numerous to count. You are now a child and you're going to have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. God saw, God heard, and God spoke. He knew Hagar's past. He understood her present circumstances, and he proclaimed her future. A son and a descendant too numerous to count. God is omniscient. 
If your kids ever do junior Bible quiz in the Assemblies of God, that's an elementary thing where you have to learn all these questions and verses and they compete over that. They'll they'll teach you that God is omniscient, which literally means he's all wise and all knowing. He knows what's to come. He saw Joseph's future when he was 17 years old. He saw a shepherd boy, David, who his parents forgot and wouldn't even invite him to the party when the prophet Samuel showed up. And he was going to become a king and lead their nation. Before he was conceived in his mother's womb, God saw Samson as a great judge and a deliverer over the people of Israel. Jesus saw Peter's denial. And his future resurrection on the cross. Because Peter's going to be crucified upside down. That sees your future. So about four months after Christy, the cheerleader, now turned mother, pastor on our staff, walked in him office and said, God doesn't see me. We're in our service and I'm sitting on the front row here with Michelle over to the stage left and Christy is always sat over to my to my right and we're in willow worship like it was today here just powerful God's presence was there the Lord spoke to me and he said go tell her she's going to have another child I looked up in the middle of worship and I went uh, no Now, they just spent $15,000 on that, whatever, and it didn't work. She's had prophetic words for the last two years, and nothing's happened. The doctor has said it's medically impossible. There's no way me, the closest person to her on this planet, other than her family, I'm going to walk over and tell her she's going to have another child because I don't really believe it's going to happen. I'm not going to get her hopes up because it's coming from me, and I, I just said, no, I'm not doing this. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, but in that moment, I, I, was, I was not. Forgot about it. Next Sunday, worshiping, middle service, lifting my hands, being real spiritual. God says, go tell her she's going to have another child. Yeah. I, I fight the, what I call the dark side. The ten spies, you know, that went into, went into Canaan. Nobody knows their name. Shemua, Egal, Palti, and dumbest names ever. Because they couldn't see what God could see. The other two guys, everybody, call, everybody knows them because they still name their gives their name. Joshua and Caleb. I fight that because when the word comes from the Lord, a lot of times I want, I want to go, I don't want to step out. I, I'm, I, I don't want to necessarily say that prophetic word because I, in the natural, I know it's impossible, but I can't look into the natural like if it's the Cowboys. Like I love the Cowboys. But here's how I, here I, here's how I process the Cowboys. We're going to lose. Like tonight against the 49ers, we're going to lose. I know we're going to lose. But if we win, I'm super happy. We won, we won. I, I love being wrong. Listen, I mean, if, if they lose, I'm okay because I was right. So it's a great way to approach life. 
in the natural. Because the cowboys aren't supernatural. But when I get into the kingdom of God, I have to, I, I have to fight against that natural part of my nature, that, that dark side, that grasshopper complex, that, that cynical part. Of, and I have to go, God, there's faith here. I, I got to see it like you see it. And so I fought through that and I walked over to her and I said, Christy, I said, God wants me to tell you, you're going to have another son. And you're going to have more than another son. She started crying and weeping and praising God. And I thought, God, you better not be wrong. <laughs> Four months later, she would conceive. Her oldest son, Nathaniel, would have been born years earlier. Second son would be named Nathaniel. Next year later, she would conceive again and give birth to a daughter. And the year after that, she would conceive again and birth to another daughter. So today, I don't know, Tyler, if you have that picture there. God sees your future. you're going through and what your situation is but if if you need a moment today where you want to know that God's going to step into your situation he's going to forgive your mistakes he's going to call you by name sometimes your situation is not even your mistakes today that God sees you. I want you to lift your hand. See, you're over here, 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 all down the lower floor. See, or at least two dozen up in the balcony and looking down. See here, yes, yes, yes. God sees you. I need to know it. God, I need to know it today. If you lifted your hand, ask you to take just a step of faith and then I'll turn it over to Jason. Come on. I want you to stand. If you lifted your hand, I want you to stand. Come on, yeah. Lift your hand. I want you to stand. Right where you are. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Anyone else? I'll wait just a second. If you saw Hagar, or you saw an abused, pregnant woman alone in the desert, or if you saw Peter, who had just denied you, was embarrassed, shamed, that he didn't, they had such a lack of faith in the moment, yet you still spoke. And he became the man who would preach to thousands and save thousands. God, right now, Lord, you, you, some in this room have struggled with a physical diagnosis for years, and it looks hopeless. And you've said, God, you don't even notice me anymore. God, you see them right now in the name of Jesus. 
God, you see their business idea. You see the creation, Lord, of, of something great in the kingdom of God for resources and finances. You see it right now. Lord, you see the prodigal, Lord, that's away. Lord, that's lost. Lord, right now in the future, you're calling them home. A mother, a grandmother, a father that's wept. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you see them right now. Father, I pray for those that are standing this morning. Speak your name today. Prophesy to their future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jason. Let's, let's continue to worship for just a moment and allow the Spirit of God some space to do what He wants in all of our lives. Worship team, lead us for just a few minutes. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.